So, yeah, what do you guys think of that? Spicy. Isn't that peppery? That's if you, it's great, is that what you said? It is great. So I'm taking Wyatt out tomorrow at lunch. I'll bring some of this for him. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to the Stories for Glory. Oh, we're already recording. We are recording. Uh, <laughs> uh, welcome back. What did I, I already said that. We're, we're excited to have you. And hope you tune in, tune in for the next episode because we'll have a guest. Remember, this one's coming out first. And uh, and so welcome back to me. To keep it. Oh yeah, welcome back, Greg. Greg's back. But more about you our, welcomed me back. I did, yeah. Right. Welcome back. But more about our guest who's coming in the future. To keep his name a secret, we call him Elijah. <laughs> call Elijah. Elijah. Like we're from down south. But Greg, how was your trip? It was good. What was the most exciting thing? Mm. Probably when my fuel line <laughs> burst. Your fuel line burst in your diesel? Mm-hmm. That was pretty exciting. Did they have a reason for it? Just mm. fault, faulty line? Mm-mm. Mm. This is what happens when you have a mouthful of jerky and mm-hmm. get asked a question. <laughs> your favorite part wasn't when you were high rolling on Mackinac Island. <laughs> Ooh, Mackinac. Fevering and chilling. Mm. You had that a fever? Awful. Mm. Yeah. Well, I was busy texting you and you never text me back. That's probably why. You didn't tell me you were sick. That was bad. I've been praying for you. But instead you went out without my prayers. Yep. Went to Mackinac Island, just my wife and I. and Get some fudge. We did get fudge, but I was in bed the whole time. Could you taste it? Did you lose your... No, we didn't eat it till we got home. Okay. Nice. You peanut didn't butter bring, or just regular? I noticed you didn't bring any tonight. No peanut butter. It's gone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm. I know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Living in the Lower Peninsula, that was a treat going up to Mackinac. <clears throat> Mackinac. Why do they pronounce it Mackinac? Because that's how you pronounce it. In what language? Indian. It's spelled like Mackinac, right? Ojibwe. Well, there's A-C-K. Well, there's Mackinac mm-hmm. Island, and then there's Mackinac with an A W. Oh, there as well. is? Yeah. Oh, There's okay. both spellings up there. But uh, Mackinac uh, Island is Mackinac. Mm-hmm. I think the bridge is A-W, isn't it? Um, I don't think so. That There's... bridge is so big. It is. It's, it's awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty neat. I'm pretty sure it's Mackinac A-W bridge. And then the mm-hmm. island is Mackinac. But pronounced Mackinac. That's even more confusing. Mackinac... So it's based off of a tribe. It's Indian yeah. language. Don't ask. Yeah. It. Don't ask us people from. It no, is. it's Mackinac. You are Native American. It is Indian language. Uh, well, the part of my ancestry is from the Sioux tribe. Sioux, yeah. No, oh, I'm sorry, Chippewa tribe from Sault Ste. Marie, Chippewa. And I don't know if that's a Chippewa word or not. Mackinac Bridge. Yeah. But pronounced Mackinac. Mm-hmm. Is there a Fort Michilimackinac? Michilimack. Michilimack. I don't know. Let me do some Wikipedia searching here. Anyhow. (coughs) Mackinac. Let's see. This will probably tell me where the word comes from. Ojibwe. Yeah, that's what I said. Ojibwe Ojibwe Ojibwe. in Ottawa. Yeah, see, my part of my ancestry is from Chippewa. So, not even even in the same ballpark. Where are the Ojibwe's from? That sounds like Africa. (laughs) Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, Northeast Montana. The Ojibwe's? And then, yeah, and then all of that Canada right there. Huh. 
I did not know we had. Ojibwe. Ojibwe is in Montana. I think but it, it says uh, Mackinac. <laughs> some Dutch. Mackinac, the French. Mackinac locally is a French word. Ojibwe is Mishamackinac. And then Ottawa is Michelamackinac. I see. So Mackinac is French. French. Oh. They were the fur traders. That's trainers. why it doesn't make sense. Uh, the France. No, the hmm. the Battle of Tours, the Franks, man. They're the ones who stopped the Muslim hordes. See, I'm all about this right now with the church history stuff. Charles Martel. Hmm. Good stuff. Nice. Yeah. The Franks. If it wasn't for the Franks, uh, the world would have become Muslim at the time. They're the one, only ones who stopped them. Hmm. And then Charlemagne. But that's a story for another day. Charles the Great? Yep. Char- Charles Magnus Charlemagne. What are we doing? As good as it gets. As good as it gets. The long time requested and awaited yeah. for review yeah. of the 1997 film by James L. Brooks. He also did Spanglish and he wrote the Simpsons movie. Hmm. What? Matt Goring didn't write the Simpsons movie? Uh. No, I don't or think whatever so. his name is. Matt Goring. Did you watch this movie, Caden? I did. Did you? It's been a little while. Yeah. I think I watched it back before <clears throat> we took our hiatus. Really? Oh. Yeah. That far back. Is that the first time you've seen it? No, I'd seen it um, at some point in the past. Hmm. It's kind of funny, Jack Nicholson's yeah. character's... Yeah, pretty funny. The Simpsons movie writers James L. Brooks. Huh. Well, that makes sense. His his credits are at the beginning of Simpsons show. Are they? Oh, okay. Yeah. And the yeah. Okay. Continue. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's it's. I've seen. I think I've seen it twice now. I saw it twice. Yeah. Once years ago, and then once what seems like years ago. <laughs> so the story. What's the story? Mr. Udall is Greg. Is that what you're... No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Old grumpy Jack Nicholson, Mr. Udall. Um, Obsessive, compulsive. Is this in New York? This is New York. New York. New York in an apartment high-rise. The life of author, recluse, Mr. Udall. I don't remember his first name. Melvin. Melvin. That... Melvin Udall, that's a great name. And then his neighbor, Simon. Simon, yep. Simon uh, Bishop, I wrote that down, who is a homosexual, and they their relationship together, and how they grow and learn from each other, along with a love interest played by Helen Hunt, who is only 34 years old at the time of the movie. Oh, really? Wow. What else? And it's a romantic comedy. And a dog. And a dog named Verdell. Verdell. You know you're gay when you name your dog Verdell. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, that was mostly about the transformation of Melvin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Going from, uh, yeah, the Grinch to uh, someone who cares about other people. You're uh, ready for my favorite line? Mm-hmm. When Udall, who's a writer, he says, "People who talk in metaphors should shampoo my crotch." <laughs> 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 
but that's his that's his personality mm-hmm. and uh, that's how he talks to people <laughs> it is about his growth uh, from what is Simon Collins you're the most horrible human being I've ever met something like that right and he said but then through service and relationship with other people he becomes one of the best yeah right? that's so that he's the protagonist he goes through all the changes one of the yeah one of the best but I thought well, that was the theme yeah the theme of the movie he got better this is this is as good as it gets you can't expect mm. fireworks like the the sappy hallmark romantic comedy where everyone lives happily ever after you know they're just kind of above board mm. you know it's not a fairy tale ending yeah. in the movie right so I thought that was... Well, he does get the girl, mm-hmm. but it's... Barely. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's because she is so long-suffering yes. as a person. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't have put up with him. Right. I would have walked away. So from her perspective, he's not the dashing Clark Gable, very romantic. Oh, she. he makes me swoon whenever I see him. Almost. It's the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. she even say, I think I threw up in my mouth or something? Doesn't that... <coughs> but he's, uh, he's racist. He's homophobic. Um, he just hates people. He's right? like Mr. Burns meets Bob <laughs> Wiley. He, I, yeah, I, I thought this was really close to uh, What About Bob? What About Bob? But with a character that... You just don't like. At least Bob, you kind of like him. Yeah. Well, I kind of like uh, Melvin. As the, well, I liked him as the movie went on, as he was changing. Yeah. But like at the start, you're just like, wow, this guy is. Yeah. yeah. I kind of confided in Greg that sometimes, though, that's how we all feel about people. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, like you get annoyed with somebody, but we're gentlemen enough not to not let to let that overrule yeah. our mouths or our heart or. But he just, he's like a four-year-old where he just says what he thinks. Right. And, you know, just lets it all out. It really lets the first inner thought uh, come out of his mouth. Where we would, we would restrain that uh, to show love to our neighbor or, you know, learn patience or whatever. And so he just, he just says it. <laughs> what does he call the, the waitress? She's not even fat, but he's like, hey, elephant girl. You know, like... Mm-hmm. You know, she's not even fat at all, but she's uh, being rude to him, so he's just rude right back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you liked him? Well, I liked him because he's an in- not like, oh, I want to be him, but I liked him because he's such an interesting character. Mm. You know what I mean? He's Like you just said, he's not Prince Charming, he's not Clark Gable, he's not what you expect to be the guy who would get the girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be uh, Simon Bishop. I mean, he's handsome. He's well put together. Uh, he's an artist. He's a romantic. You know, well, in this movie though, he's gay, so he's not getting the yeah. girl. But yeah, um, it's that kind of character you'd think that would get the yes. girl. But yeah, in this, it's reversed. Yeah, the troll from under the bridge gets the princess. Have you guys ever experienced someone in real life like him that just doesn't have a filter? Hmm. Not, not this extreme. Way. No, not this extreme. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, 
We didn't ask for an autobiography, Greg. No, I'm just kidding. My brother will know who I'm thinking about. <laughs> and it's not my brother. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, some people just don't have filters. Right, usually we call them sociopaths. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the movie tells the story of Marvin Udall who, being a recluse, doesn't know how to... And that's part of his problem. He just doesn't know how to deal with people. And like uh, Bob Wiley, is that his name? Bob, what, mm-hmm. is that his last name, Wiley? Um, he has OCD. And in this movie, it's uh, locking the door. Stepping on cracks. One, two, three. You know, he counts it, what, seven times, washing his hands. He uses, like, multiple bars of soap for each hand washing. <coughs> he uses it once, yeah. You know, and then, uh, yeah, not stepping on cracks... He brings his own Silver silverware way. to the restaurant. Uh, he can only have the one waitress. And that, that sparks the whole narrative. He mm. needs, what's her name? Carol? No. Is it Carol? Yeah, that sounds right. He needs his waitress, uh, or else he won't be served or he won't have food. His and table. It, his table, yeah, and he starts making fun of those Jews about yeah. their no- the size of their noses and stuff. And... <laughs> and uh, I guess I've never had that impulse to just walk up to somebody and insult their nose. Like, I don't... Right. I've never had that, but... Um, <coughs> and the thing, like, Bob Wiley, though, that breaks Melvin out of all of it is relationship. It's... A family is beginning to form around him. Uh, and it starts with him taking in the dog, and then it starts with him taking care of Simon, and then it's, he's taking care of Carol's son, and... <coughs> Just having an outward expression of love or care begins to change his inward yeah, man. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot like Bob. What did Bob need? Right. Family. Circumstances outside of his control. He needed family. Because <clears throat> what Carol moves across <clears throat> town, so that puts a puts him in a pickle. So he starts paying for his kit for her kids' doctor visits, <clears throat> so that she'll come back to being a waitress. Mm-hmm. Um, the neighbor basically gets. What robbed, beaten, to, yeah. to where he's almost dead by a bunch of meth heads or whatever. There was bankrupt. Yeah, uh, but the dog was kind of like the the starting of all it, right? He he hated dogs. I thought. Yeah, yeah he hated that. Well, dog. the movie starts with him putting it down in the, the garbage chute, or laundry chute yeah. of yeah. the building, yeah. and then forms a relationship with it, and it goes from there. Yeah, what's the? <clears throat> it's ironic that he wrote what sixty two. <laughs> love stories right how can you and then the receptionist at his publisher you know how can this character be so in tune to write these successful love stories but so be so detached in real life right what's going on there oh, why are you looking at me <laughs> I well I liked it when he was in the publishing house and he's walking to the elevator and the receptionist calls him yeah. and says, how do you write women so well? I think of a man. <laughs> and then I remove all ration and reason, you know, and whatever a man would do, I do the other thing. You know? <laughs> That's how I write women. <laughs> Which has an aspect of truth to it. Not entirely, but women are more relational and men are more rational, but... Uh, your question, like, well, how could an, an author generate in his mind all of these fictitious relationships that are so accurate 
yeah, in his personal life, not be yeah. able to exhibit them. Whether whether he excluded people <clears throat> uh, in order to function in writing his books, but that he just his his real life personality was so opposite mm-hmm. of the stories that he wrote. Right, he didn't love anybody. Right, just himself. But he could write successful love stories. <clears throat> Supposedly, anyways, they didn't really. Yeah, he wrote 62 books, that's right. Yeah. But I wonder if that's... Maybe, I don't know. I don't think the movie was getting that deep. An indictment on what people do as love. Yeah, or pastors. How can you preach that from the pulpit and then act the way you do? Yeah. That's what I thought when I I saw this. I know, that's what you're thinking. Yeah, so the, the first thing that begins to change him is the dog... And that's a really, I mean, I, because he doesn't know how to interact with people, which is on a whole greater, greater scale of relationship than a pet. And it was pretty, I mean, it was good writing to get a, to start the ball moving with a guy like Melvin to start with a, with a dog. Mm. Right. I like that's a good story telling thing there. Rather than him jumping into a relationship with a human, with another person, he starts the initial change or the iceberg melting or whatever with the pet, with the dog. Because mm-hmm. remember, he uh, he refuses to sit anywhere else in the restaurant. But as soon as he has the dog and he leashes him up to the pole outside, he moves seats <clears throat> so he can keep an eye on the dog. Mm-hmm. And it's the relationship with that dog that's beginning to change his obsessive-compulsive disorder. And um, Maybe we could talk about OCD or obsessive-compulsive nature of things. But, but it, yeah, I thought that was pretty clever for James, James Brooks. Is that his name? I think I said mm-hmm. it earlier. Yeah, just to make that the, the initial starting point with a dog. But Yeah. Yeah. And you see that. It's, it was like a reluctant at this point. When the movie was made, was it 97? Uh-huh. So, with the, with oh, the yeah, dog? Yeah. So it goes from the dog to the son. Oh. Or to Simon, then the son, then to Carol. Yeah. You, you just thought that was clever how he... Uh, I did. ...incorporated the dog as the change in Melvin Udall. Yeah. But then what Then what did we talk about? Then something I, terrible happened. And then and there was a hiccup had, in the recording. We had some time slippage. And uh, <laughs> then you were talking about the trauma in Simon's life. And in Melvin's. Yeah. And the car scene. Yeah, the car scene. And oh no, yeah, they how couldn't it, make that today. Yeah. We couldn't make that. Yeah, that movie wouldn't be able to be made today. Because because uh, Simon wasn't born, or he was in a space. I don't think so. <clears throat> okay. Why why it showed that one was in the car scene OCD and the other is gay. Like it had the potential. So there's a part in the movie when Carol tells her son Spencer that she's using him. As the man in her life. Oh, do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. And so Spencer, without a man in the household, has the potential to become like one of these two guys. Yeah. And <clears throat> anyway, I was just thinking that. Because <clears throat> she even says it. That she's putting that young boy in a position he ought not to be in. And the same thing was true for Melvin's character and for Simon's character when they were young boys. 
and they both turned out abnormal. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's doing it to her own son, and she needs a man to correct it. That wouldn't fly today. I'm surprised it flew in the 90s. but 97? Yeah. Well, when Cuba Gooding Jr. is a black man who's gay, you cannot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, there's a yeah, there's just that part of. Um, yeah, that, it did that any any abnormality abnormal you know. Sorry, go ahead. You were gonna say something. Right no, now. it did portray that something. It did portray uh, Simon as. I think that's your the point you were making. It's not normal and acceptable and natural. Right. Simon was. It, homosexuality was portrayed as a kind of a almost as bad as Melvin was mm-hmm. at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, with his rudeness and his yeah. obsessive compulsive nature. Yeah, their abusive fathers made the kind of were at each end of the spectrum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, are there any good dads in this movie? And there just aren't. <clears throat> uh, maybe Harold Ramis, who plays the doctor. He seemed like he. Could have been a pretty good guy. I bet he was a good dad. That was his publisher's husband, or who was that? Yeah. His publisher's husband, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's it. We've talked about that <clears throat> idea a lot and we've, and on the podcast, but just dads, fathers, men in mm-hmm. general tend to be downplayed in modern film. Mm-hmm. Who needs a good dad? Yeah, who needs one? Well, just need the, two good moms. You just need <laughs> two gay neighbors. Growing up, I had lesbian neighbors. Rhonda, I don't remember the other ones. Uh, yep, yeah. <coughs> yeah. Rhonda and Butch. <laughs> Rhonda and Butch. I couldn't. I couldn't tell which one was the Butch one. Oh man. Well, I mean, they were both pretty masculine, but Rhonda. I remember at their house. It was the first time I remember eating cheddar sour cream potato chips. And it just blew my mind that they existed. That was burned in my memory at Rhonda's. But in the in the car scene with Melvin in the back seat, he tells... And it's funny because they're both... I mean, in the categories that we have in our worldview as Christians, they're both sinners. Like, they just both need to repent and change so much of their lives. But Melvin says, you're not pissed because you had it bad. You're pissed because others had it better than you. Mm. And uh, that was great. Because he's just quit acting the victim. Right? Melvin just called Simon out. Your, your prissy lifestyle, your woe is me. You're just, a vi- you're just pretending to be a victim. Mm-hmm. Get over it. <clears throat> uh, a lot of people need to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> right. But again, so could that be made today? No. They'd be like, oh, no, you are a victim. Everything's so bad for you. And, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're a girl, then in the movies you do everything right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What else you got, Greg? Um, Simon. I'm, I'm had, just watching over here in case we have another hiccup on yeah. that. Yeah. Simon had no friends. Well, he's got a boyfriend. His name is Frank Sachs. <laughs> yep. Frank Sachs. <laughs> I can't get over it. James Brooks names yeah. a gay man Frank Sachs. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true, though. Yeah. <coughs> I yeah, mean, he had no friends, and it's. I think that was part of the irony of the movie is that his only friend becomes 
well, one, I mean, M- Melvin becomes what well, he ends up moving in with him, right? Yeah. You did, yeah. First the dog did. The dog then. Well, even when the dog moved in, when Frank came to drop him off, and Marvin said, no, no, no. And if you listen, he says, no, 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 no one else has ever been in here before. So his, his apartment, his life really is secluded. No one else has ever been in an apartment. And then the dog comes in. Yep. It's like the, hmm. yeah, and that, that theme of relationship. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, he's, uh, when they're at the restaurant, that looked like a great restaurant. All that seafood. Mm. And he, she goes, do you want to dance? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he kind of, you know, she's warming up to him and he's getting all spritzed. He goes and gets a suit jacket and, you know, and all that stuff. And then it, it could be like a romantic moment in the movie and he insults her. Well, he gives her like a backhanded compliment and ends up insulting her. I can't believe they, something like, I can't believe they made me go out and buy this jacket, but you get to wear a what is, dress. A house dress like that. And it's probably like her best dress, right? Because right. she's a waitress. And, and then uh, she says, give me a compliment or I'm walking out of here. And then he gives her a great one. Right? You make me want to be a better man. Yeah. And he builds up to it. I just kind of spoiled the, the best line in the movie. Because uh, he does build up to it. But there's that aspect of relationship when you are with somebody. If you do love them, you're going to want to be a better person yeah, on their behalf. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about it before on the show, how women civilize men. And we see that here as well. Mm. You know, like, uh, what would I be doing right now if I didn't have a wife? I wouldn't be pastoring a church and doing this podcast and yeah. taking, taking care of four kids and splitting wood for the winter and... Women civilize our energy and guide it in a proper direction, but mm-hmm. and she's doing that for him, and and Simon because she he's a woman. Simon out. Oh, <laughs> oh, she does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and he. Yeah. She becomes. You mean because she becomes his muse for his art again, or? No, I think uh, she helped him work through a lot of things with his parents. Yeah. <clears throat> But yeah, when when he saw her getting ready to take a bath, that reinvigorated his uh, his Frank Sachs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe Sorry. she reminded him of his hey, mother. I didn't name him. Uh. Oh, Greg, come on, you went Freudian on us. Right? How far do you take the circumstances in the past? Using those as a crutch, right? Like, say, oh, you know, right. Because I think you can take it both directions, and people can say, well, it's because of my past that I am this way. Yeah. It's like, well, mm-hmm. like you're saying, you got to take responsibility for your actions. Mm-hmm. But I think it's helpful. And I don't know how we've lost that as a society in these certain categories that, oh, past upbringing, none of that has anything, nothing to do with my, you know, propensity to lust after other men, right? Like, as mm-hmm. homosexual. It's just, I mean, so. Right. Yeah, the nature and nurture, it's not either or. It's both. Mm-hmm. And you can have terrible nature, which we all do, 
as, as sinful people, but then terrible nurture as well. And we uh, there's stories of people coming out of that, and because having the discipline to make the right decision, um, like his his psychiatrist or psychologist, I can help you if you take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what you see with Melvin throughout this. He begins to take responsibility, not just for himself, but for himself on behalf of others. And that's that going back to what about Bob? Mm-hmm. He needed Melvin needs a church. <laughs> yeah. 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 And with you mentioned her drawing a bath and then Simon the gay guy glancing over and being inspired by her body. And you don't see much you see her back and her hair. Mm-hmm. Uh but it is interesting that even that gay man appreciates the beauty of a woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Right? Yeah. You could you make the right decisions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go with that, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I did notice too when they were driving and they stopped to get gas. Gas was a dollar thirteen. Man, and, yeah, and that would have been ninety I remember in high school paying like ninety nine cents a gallon up here. Yeah. At Albertsons. Nice. Ninety nine cents, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's back when the junior bacon cheeseburger was ninety nine cents. What is it now? It was like twice the size. Two eighty nine. And it was actually like a burger burger? Yeah. Yeah. Bidenomics. <sighs> yeah. I should probably save my Biden comments for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> you have to insert them. <laughs> so Melvin goes from a dog serving a dog to serving a boy to serving a gay man. That sounded wrong. <laughs> but then he ends up getting the girl. Yeah. As, so, good, as good as it gets. So what? Well, we're only a half hour in, but that's because we've lost some audio through some hiccups. So apologies to our audience. But So is why, do they, why is the title as good as it gets? Yeah, I was going to ask that. You had thoughts on that? Well, where does he... Oh, he says it in the doctor's office, right? When he comes out, the doctor refuses to see him. Mm-hmm. He tells all the people, so what does he say? What if this is as good as it gets? Yep. But his own life proves the opposite, right? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose he does improve. But I, I think, uh, I don't know. One thing I saw. What were you saying? <laughs> and that, so that, yeah, that's what I think. There it is. You didn't catch that? That was the most profound thing that's ever wow. come out on the show in oh. 72 episodes or whatever we're at. That's for us. Well, we could talk about it more on our <laughs> Patreon subscribe. That's right. You get after, the after show. All those hiccup audio files are really saved for later for the after hours. You, but you said as good as it gets, and I think that. Well, I made the point earlier. Maybe it didn't get recorded much earlier, but you tend to have this hallmark view of romantic comedies, you know, rom coms, yeah, where. In this situation, he was he was not that great of a catch. Mm-hmm. So. He's wealthy though. Yeah, he very was, wealthy. He was wealthy. All you can overlook people. a lot of sins for dollars. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> especially when your son is on his deathbed. Yeah. What flaws did she have? Uh, she was making her son to be her husband. She was 
dating really that scene where she comes back with her date yeah and the dude's just he is a dingus and he's thinking with his little head rather than his brain and like even the kids like throwing up and the grandma comes out and then he still tries to go for it like, uh. yeah. So, yeah, she's just chasing bad men. Mm-hmm. Or allowing bad men to compensate for her lack of good men. But. Yeah. I said, did they really try? They didn't really highlight a whole lot of flaws in her, though. Mm-mm. No. <clears throat> and I wouldn't even. No, it's all the men in the movie that have problems. Yeah. And she's the one serving, being <clears throat> humble, yeah. staying up late, getting up early. Right, yeah. Working her fingers to the bone. Yep. But you don't need that with a rich man. <laughs> Even if he's twice your age. And everybody hates him. But he's, yeah, he's changing. Because it ends with him. They're walking right and he steps on a crack or something. Isn't that right? No, yes. I thought he still, I thought he still, he tried, still dodged them. Tried to dodge it? Okay. Yeah, he did write that down. Does, does he actually have to change who he is in that regard? Or discipline himself to stop sinning against people. Hmm. And so walking over a crack, it's not sin- it's it's quirky. Yeah. But it's not sinful. Right. But the way that he talks to her, uh, he's not disciplining his mouth. He's not disciplining his mind, and he's yeah. sinning against people. Right. So, and those are two different things. Right. So. We were talking that because I do think you can, even in your OCD, you can sin. Not. It's not an excuse. It's not an excuse, right? And I think uh, the underlying issue is just just knowing people that have it, like the the trust element of just it's okay. I can I literally can leave the house. I don't have to go back and check the lights again, like mm-hmm. right, the third time. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point you have to just trust and like let it go. And so I think you can take that to a level where, but people don't want to hear that either. I guess right. Don't want to like, hear it's what? just a chemical imbalance. That's oh. all it is. Yeah, they, I can't help it. Yes, that gets into difficult questions. Yeah, like someone who has some condition like that, which from the outside, you know, someone could point fingers and say, "Well, you just you lack faith, right?" Or you lack that's, trust that's in it. the Lord, or the, and <clears throat> they they say, "Well, if I take this medication, it helps." <clears throat> you know, I I really. Right, Where's, sorting out. Yeah, Where's, real. Yeah, we when, especially when you can see a significant difference in the person when they are on medication or what have you. So I mean, that's even pastorally. I think those are interesting questions because you have far extremes. You've got the psychobabble, just medicate them. You know, oh, you're depressed. Here's some medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not deal with the heart issue. Depression's a real thing, I think. You know, but it's not just fixed by drugs. It's it's a both and, or it can be right. a both and, right? I mean, is that how you would counsel, or yeah, yeah, and to to neglect the fact that sin has consequences in the physical body is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Right? Of course it does, and that can include a chemical imbalance in your body. I mean, it, it's true. With, think of like a postpartum depression when a woman has a child, sure, and then she comes home from the hospital, and she's just stuck in gloom and can't like. I don't know why I'm crying. Why am I crying? Why am I sad? You know, like, there's no reason to be mm-hmm. externally. Mm-hmm. But it's because your hormones are all out of whack, you know? Mm-hmm. And to neglect that kind of reality in a fallen world, I think, is just stupid. 
You can't just blame everything on, oh, you're lacking faith. Yeah. No, there are external factors that are actually internal factors in that case mm-hmm. to somebody's behavior that way. But it's sort of like, uh, how far do you take it? You know, and so if I have a headache, do I get to yell at my kids? No. Right. Well, if I have OCD or I have clinical depression, you know, do I get to get, snap at people or do I get to isolate myself? Do I get to not serve my family? Well, no. Right. You still have responsibilities and duties and you still have to do what God commands you to. Mm-hmm. The same thing with like a woman who's on her menstrual cycle with PMS. It doesn't give you permission to snap at your husband. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Um, so they're not excuses for sin and it might be might make your life harder in obedience, right? But you still have to have that faithful obedience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if, because even in this movie, Melvin, he's on medication. He tells her, you know, at that restaurant, because of you, I, I started taking medication again because you make me want to be a better man. But what you, you don't see him with the medication. You see him with people. Mm-hmm. And I've counseled um, others. You know, we had a member of the church who was, I would consider a paranoid person. People are out to get her, him, her. Uh, like, literally, like, they're going to poison me. They're going to kill me. They're going to do these things to me. And and part of that nature and nurture, part of the nature, there's probably an imbalance somewhere in her chemical makeup. But also her nurture, uh, her life led her to these conclusions. Mm-hmm. And then what I tried to counsel her with, because I, I don't write prescriptions, it's, you know, I, it's not my job, um, but to counsel her with the Word of God, you know, so she's accusing somebody in the church of trying to poison her. That's, and I know it's not true, uh, but you can't just go, you don't have enough faith or you're crazy. That's yeah. not helpful. And what I always led her to, which I don't know if it's right or not, uh, God's commands tell you to overcome evil with good. So what I want you to do is bake that family a meal. You know, you you, you have this mentality that they're out to hurt you. But what I want, they're members of the church, and they're commanded by God to love you too, right? And so you need to believe God's word, and I want you to bake them a meal, right? This is the way that you overcome these things. And it's like this in the movie. It's like this in What About Bob? You overcome these things by the service to others. And at least in this case, what I'm talking about with the church, is by obeying God's commandments. And, and it's really difficult, and it's really hard. And nature and nurture are pressing against her obedience to what God says to do. Right. right? To, to love, to do good in the face of what you perceive to be evil. Right? And, but that's what God says to do. <clears throat> he says to give your enemy a drink of water. Right, <laughs> and so you need to overcome those things by obedience, faithful obedience to what God says to do. So, like a woman, a wife on her menstrual cycle, you need to respect and honor your husband and submit to him in all things. That's what God says to do, whether or not you're on your period. Sure. Right, and so you need to push forward in that kind of obedience. And um, what we see with Melvin is when he starts attaching his heart to people, uh, his. This is Christian language, right? His obedience catches up. His faithfulness catches up to the actions that he needs to take. And he begins to change because he's responsible to others. He grows in love and goodness because the people around him demand it of him by their very presence. 
right? That's what changes Melvin. It wasn't the pills. The pills didn't make him a better man. She did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, I, but I don't want to discount that there's times and seasons in life where you have a headache and you take Tylenol, right? There's times and seasons in life where you're you're depressed and you uh, clinical depression, you know, however you want to categorize that. That's a different discussion, and you take a pill to help you get out of it for a season. It's not a. I wouldn't uh, advocate it as dependence or a life life lifelong thing. You know, it's like somebody's like you're obese, and to p- lower your blood pressure, we're going to give you this pill. That should be a temporary fix, right? I'm not against that, but that's not the long-term fix. The long-term fix is for you to start eating right. Sure. <laughs> to take responsibility. And take responsibility for your diet and your exercise. Like, yeah. that's that's the long-term fix. And so I'm not against those mitigating pills yeah. to help with this. And I think that that can be seen as a gift of God. Um, when it comes to Christians, sometimes we get the uh, the complex where... I know there's Tylenol in the cabinet, but God gave me this headache, so I'm just going to suffer it. He also gave you the Tylenol in the cabinet. Yeah, right. Yeah. And give him thanks. Take it if you need it, right? Yeah. And then li- and then move on in faithfulness. Um, so anyway, maybe I'm going too far afield with, with that comment. but Yeah. No, anyway, yeah, that's how yeah. I see it. At an, um, is it Ed Welch? Ed Welch? He's got a book on Christian counseling called Blame It on the Brain. Have you guys read it? Mm-mm. It's very good. It deals with these issues that, uh, on medication and faith. And, yeah, anyway. it's, yeah, it just, it's, yeah, it's... I don't have all the answers to all these things. I mean, a lot of it, the, the depth of sin, I mean, really, sin breaks our DNA. Yeah. I mean, babies are born with missing limbs or babies are born blind. You know, just sin really gets down and breaks everything. Mm-hmm. The effects of sin and the curse on creation and uh, so I, I don't want to say that I know all the answers to all those questions I don't um, but those are the, sort of the ways I come at them in counseling as a pastor gotcha yeah no that's good I mean it's one of those things when you see the the clear benefit of something but then at the same time you don't the dependency part can be one of those things that you need to grow in these areas yeah, if the medicine helps, take it while you need it. But I think that's been the same kind of counsel that we've tried to help with. Yeah. Because it's it's easier just throw a pill at it, and, you know, because you see that I think with like kids with ADD, ADD quote you know, unquote, and just throw a pill at them for their adolescence, and you know, which is really just making boys into girls, right. by the way. Exactly. And it's just a lifelong dependency. I remember when I had my foot thing this summer. And Jill, Jill caught it. I did it. An infection. A foot infection. infection. Oh, yeah, the yeah. foot infection. So we go to the urgent care, and I'm going up there signing the papers, and, you know, well, what medication are you on? None. And I didn't catch it, but she was, the doctor's like, did you hear that? He's like, he's not taking any medication. It's like, well, no. I mean, yeah, not saying that arrogantly, but just saying, like, right. I try not to become dependent upon anything if you don't have to be. Yeah. There's times and seasons where you, if it helps do it but yeah. I don't know right which is interesting in this movie because I want to be a better man so I'm, you're saying what makes him a better man is the relationship the people mm-hmm. the community right but they're still spinning it as he's going to need this medicine well it was very side it was a side remark 
He talks about how much he hates taking those pills. Remember in the restaurant? They're bitter and he hates them. And Do you remember that? No. I it was the lead up that. to the you make me want to be a better man comment. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, they're there, which is true. It's just yeah. true enough. But he doesn't... Um, like, you don't see him throughout the film popping pills. Popping Every time she shows up, he's not, like, gobbling them down. <laughs> like, I don't remember... I'm sure it shows him taking pills, but I don't remember any of the scenes. Yeah. Because it's just not prominent. It's not a dependence thing. They're not portraying it that way. Okay. And I thought that was pretty good. <clears throat> so. Yeah, I didn't see him taking any pills. And the, the mystery of sanctification... Um, you see, you see one guy <clears throat> come from an awful background. I'm thinking of a pastor in Michigan. Come from an awful background, live an awful life, get converted at 30, and become a very successful pastor of a large church, and continue that through the rest of his life. And then you see other people born and raised in the church who on a scale don't seem to blossom in sanctification like this pastor that I'm thinking of, for instance. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting to me, if that makes sense. And in different people's Christian walks, sometimes that's as good as it gets. Hmm. I see what you're saying there. Is that fair? I mean, you can't expect every Christian you come across to excel, whatever, to be a super apostle or whatever. Yeah. Does that make sense? There's such a a drastic difference between somebody who grew up a Christian in a healthy home. Let's... Uh, this is really a bad analogy, but let's say as somebody like you just mentioned, somebody who grew up in a Christian home, faithful Christian home, uh, and if, you know, you ask them, when do you lo- when did when were you converted? I never knew a time I didn't love Jesus. Right? He's always loved me, uh-huh. and they've lived their whole life at like they're they're balancing between an A minus and an A and a B plus, like their whole life, right? Three months of their life, they dip down to a B plus in sanctification. And then they repent and they come back to an A minus. And then that pastor you're talking about, right, who was converted at the age of 30, he was living in an F. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he's converted and he, he grows and matures up to the A minus. And everyone's like, wow, my, you know, oh my goodness, look how faithful he is. And yet the, the kid who grew up and had the long slog of 80 years from B plus to A minus, we're like, oh, yeah. No big deal. That's a big deal. You see, I'm like to maintain a consistency of sanctification sure. like that over the course of your life is a great testimony of God's grace and your own faithfulness. <clears throat> right? And that's no no less miraculous than a guy who's in Hell's Angels and converts and gets baptized and becomes a pastor of a church. Mm. That's also miraculous and faithful. And I wouldn't want to pit those two things against each other. Sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're just it's just different. But yeah. But it seems to be even even looking at different 
Christian walks within the church, there seem to be some, you know, whether you talk about it in terms of talents, there seem to be some Christians who have five talents and they turn it into ten. (laughs) And then there's other Christians who had whatever, their two talents, and they turn it into 2.1 talents. And one, yeah, and well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. You didn't bury it, you turned it to 2.1. But it's also like the other parable with the vineyard owner who in the early mornings of the day said, hey, come work in my vineyard for a denarius for the day. And you say, sure. And you you come over and work. You know, he's at 9 o'clock now. He says, you come work for a denarius. And they say, sure. All the way up to 6 o'clock or 3 o'clock. So 3, 3 p.m., they say, hey, come work in my vineyard for a denarius for the day. And they work three hours. And they get the same. And then... The guys who've been there the whole time are complaining, and the master of the vineyard says, who are you to complain what I do with my own things? Is it, all the denarii that I have are mine, and if I gave you one and you one and you one at different times, who are you to complain? And it's sort of similar with the talents. You know, the master is the one who gives them the talents. Mm-hmm. So if you've, if you've got ten talents and you've got two talents, they're both gifts. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's no, there's no complaining. I, mean, I could do this as a pastor. I could look out in the landscape of pastors and be like, Lord, how come I don't have 10 talents like that guy? Or you could, and maybe what you're hitting on too, is you could always be comparing your life to the Moscow, right? Where they're doing all of these magical, wonderful, grandiose magical things. Magical flamethrowers and drones. Yeah, right, yeah like, <laughs> look at what's going on there. And then, oh, but look at here, here in Forest Park Estates or in Helena, Montana, and like, you know, we're still trying to get a co-op up and running and, you know, like all, and it's like, yeah, as good as it gets language, doesn't, <clears throat> that's great. You're in the kingdom. Like you're building it. Is that what you're implying? Yes. That's <clears throat> uh, a bone I'd like to pick in, <laughs> in my life is uh, in some circles, there's this high standard held up. Uh-huh. It's like, well, <laughs> All Christians should look like this. Look like this here. Mm. Not all Christians are going to look like that. Right? Yeah, right, right. There's sincere well, yeah. Christians that are like, oh, I got my, I got my two talents, and I'm, I think I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not looking like right this, this picture that's portrayed. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't have this. I can't write the book on marriage, and I can't write the book on child rearing, mm. but. And especially in CRE circles, that's we're all we're all supposed to do that. <laughs> Everyone needs to look like that. Mm-hmm. And some of us are. This is as good as it gets. And it's, it's not that yeah. I'm not trying. Right. I think a lot of people can say that. It's not that I'm not trying. Well, the phrase "as good as it gets," though, in the movie when he says it in that waiting room, is a negative. Right. But it doesn't have to be. Yeah, that's that's what I was kind of trying to kick if, against. Because if this is as good as my life gets... It's pretty good. With, it's dang good. Yeah. And it's far better than what I had as a kid. Yeah. Just... Right. All so I taking do, the All pe- I can do is say thank you. Taking the pessimism out of the as good as it gets and just going... This is as good yeah. as it gets. Like, kind of spinning it that way. Yeah, like, I, I'm, I, I think I'm tracking with... Yeah, it's not that's what I was trying to say is like... Okay, yeah. You know, this is pretty good. Like we've got it, and to to not 
to not look because I think that's I think you're you've seen that historically, especially like within the I don't know, last 15 years of the evangelical church, like everybody's looking at all these <clears throat> superstar mega pastors to, you know, oh look at them, look at what they're doing, all that stuff, and you know, look at my little faithful pastor right here in my own congregation. He's just not doing it. It's like spinning it to where you, you see the blessing in the I don't know the plaudits kid, you know, the plotting, the faithfulness of I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm tracking with. I'm not making any sense, but. I'm tracking with what you're saying. You've had too much water to drink tonight. <laughs> but I like the idea of what you're saying is that this is pretty good. Like, this yeah. is as good as, you know. And being okay with that. Like, not necessarily. Right. We well, and the thing with the. Go ahead, sorry. I say not every, not every CREC church is going to have the, the benefits that Doug Wilson got with the, the foresight of his father. Like... Oh. <clears throat> Well, the thing about yeah, the movie too, things. though, when he says that in the in the in the office with those other patients, like his life proves the opposite of what he said. Maybe this is as good as it gets. But then at the end of the movie, he's got the girl, right? And he's out at like what three a.m. or four a.m. They're going to the bakery to get fresh rolls, and like I mean, it's just from where he was at the beginning, middle, and end, it got it was okay. Then it got better. <laughs> then it got better again. Mm. And it isn't just as good as it gets. And it, it, for him, it got better and better. Right? So it, it's just... Uh, that's just not how God works in history either, though. Mm. Uh, it's not... Like, uh, God's not static. Neither is history. And neither is our sanctification. It's going to get gooder. It's going to get gooder. Well, and even if the gooder is from two talents to two point one, mm-hmm. that's still gooder, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And it's not the two talents that are put in the ground, and then the master comes and disciplines you for it, yeah. right? And takes them away and casts you out and gives the two talents to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You turn to profit, and that's that's gooder. Because <laughs> we're we're running with who it. Said, yeah, who sets the standard for gooder? Yeah, you know, I mean, well, and the thing being Christians. The, the goal isn't necessarily to earn more talents, you know, talents of gold. It's to please your master. Mm-hmm. So take your, imagine there's a parable. This is, this is in the Gospel of Thomas. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, the master gives two talents, and the servant goes out with it into the world to earn a profit on it, and he brings back two talents. What does the master say? Gooder for you. Yeah. Right? You didn't earn well, two yeah. talents on this gold, but you became a better man. I don't know. You know, there's just uh, I don't I don't like your as good as it gets language, Greg. I don't like it. Maybe you're not grasping what I'm. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe I'm not. I, picking up I thought I'm it was at now. one point, but I, maybe I, I'm not. I don't know. I think you're just too pessimistic. You don't have enough faith, Greg. <laughs> you need to take more medicine. No. Well, try to explain it then better. Explain it gooder. Get it more gooder. <laughs> more good without, without burying my soul. Well, I know the <laughs> thing like... So I remember listening to something from one of Doug's kids. And I said, I can't remember a single time growing up that dad raised his voice. I'm like, well, failed that one. <laughs> Is that what you mean? Like, Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, well, the, like I'm not the, Doug. So like there. the Wilsons or that standard... <laughs> 
is held up in CRE, oh. in the CRE church, you know. Not ours. Greg. No, I think there is a standard. Oh. That's that's held up. You think the men in the church hold each other as fathers to the standard of what Doug Wilson does? No, but there's definitely oh, okay. a standard. Nope. No, that was the answer. But there's definitely a standard that is kind of assumed in CRE circles. I think. And not everybody's going to attain that standard. And for some of us... <laughs> Well, sure, I don't know if any, I mean, like I said earlier, if if Doug, and we all love Doug and we're very thankful for all of his work, so none of this is to malign him or anything. He's just an example. But if I were to do that, you know, all pastors should aspire to Doug Wilson productivity. Well, goodness, none of us could do it, right? So I just don't. Well, I hope that maybe this should be off microphone. <laughs> well, I, I hope that none of the men are pressuring the other men to be, you know, your household needs to be like the Wilson household. I've eight years here, I've never felt that way. But. The pressure I feel is when Johnny grows that killer mustache. The thing is, killer. Man, I, I'm so fond I think him and Seth should go in a mustache off. Yeah. You should just see who can grow the best one. But I, I could see setting up a, a false standard that you think other people are looking at that they're expecting you to follow. I mean, when I first came here, and I understood why it was happening, but I would preach a sermon, lead a Bible study, and someone would raise their hand, and they would say, but Doug says. Mm. Right? But, you know, for... Uh, I don't remember the, the time distance between the, the previous pastor and me but for a while everyone was just being fed from one one source their pastor was a, a distant pastor they're reading his books they're listening to his sermons right and i understood all of that and i never took offense to it um but it doesn't happen anymore right the, the standard of what it means for a pastor to be at emmanuel church isn't that isn't doug wilson from moscow idaho anymore and I wouldn't assume the same thing about parenting either. Or, or masculinity for that reason. Or, I mean, I wouldn't look to, uh, you know, Brian Salve and Eric Kahn and tell the men in our church, you need to be masculine like them. Because I don't think you do. Hmm. I, I don't think they define what being a man looks like. I think they're, they're men, but we don't have to follow them and their standards for it. Right? Just because you don't go to the gym doesn't mean you're not a man. <gasps> Gasp. Put that on Twitter, right? And so uh, I guess maybe you'll have to run by me what you mean by uh, as good as it gets again. <laughs> no, no, I'm trying to squash all that nonsense because that is nonsense. There's a difference between having a standard that you aim at like that and then a tradition of like, the tradition of men, a tradition of Phariseeism. Like, you didn't reach it, you failed. No, 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 no. That's not what we're... That's not what we ought to be doing. Right? So there's a difference 
between those two things, a model to look at, a goal to aim toward, and a standard or a tradition that you fail at or pass. Right, those are two different things. But I don't know. Am I just blowing smoke, Greg? You can no. tell me. No, I, I can tell you're speaking from your heart. Well, you're bothering me now. I've, <laughs> I've gone out of Stories for Glory host mode into pastor mode. <clears throat> I'm a modalist, Patrick. No. Uh, well, anyhow, that's what's been running through my head. And maybe it's a, maybe it's just standards in my own mind, but... But I don't. But I don't think so. Okay. Well, if I can't convince you, Greg, I can only help you if you take responsibility for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that part got cut out of the thing earlier, but all right. Are we? Uh, I mean, the age differences in the movie is kind of weird. Yeah, that creeped. Yep. A lot of people out. I mean, it's not unheard of. Have we had this conversation before, though? I thought we had this conversation. Uh, yeah, you said you would kill a man or something if he yeah. came after your daughter. Yeah, at a certain... No, I was just... I mean, I just couldn't... I, I know, you'd kill a... I shouldn't have said that, but... It would be very difficult for me. Right. In, in the same... I, I, granted... Was he if I was his, If I was his dad, there's a good chance I am already dead or... Yeah, but yeah, it just seems like that age gap is weird. But what was, what, what was the other movie that this happened in and... You defended it. Oh, love is love is love, uh, Greg said. <laughs> it like it's about the idea of caring for, you know, the your daughter or like something like that. Hmm. Yeah, there was a. What I remember this conversation. It? There was an older man and a younger gal. Yeah, because it was, was. And you said if somebody, if an older man that much older came to your daughter, it would. There's no way it would happen. <laughs> yeah. right. But. Huh, I don't remember. Yeah, we'll have to go I back and listen to the episode. I'll, I'll find it. Because I was more sympathetic. To, I mean, in, in the movie, well, Helen Hunt, as an actress, is 34 years old. I don't know how old she's supposed to be in the movie. But if a, if a 34-year-old woman, let's say, wants to marry a 60-year-old man, and they're both Christians, I'll do the wedding. Right? I'd... Hey, as long as it's not my daughter. <laughs> yeah, see, and then I remember having this discussion because <laughs> yeah. I think Greg and I were more sympathetic, like, okay. <sighs> I just it, can't imagine and a you were like, year old Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, okay. This, I mean, hmm. that's, yeah. You, you don't, I, what I movie can't, was it? I can't remember. So <sighs> one of our longtime listeners will let us know. Yeah. <laughs> They've listened to all these episodes twice already. No. Oh, you guys don't remember back in... October of last year, you said. Yeah, I don't remember what movie that was. I don't know. And I probably, maybe I probably... Was it, was it Braveheart? Was it Mel Gibson and Murren? Weren't they like... No. 20 or 30 years of difference? No. It was... It was old. It was like 30 years. Just... Hmm. Anyway. And I'm not opposed to it as long as it's not my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> or your son? Or yeah, or my son. If your son was sixty-seven and wanted to marry a thirty-four-year-old, uh, I think that's the age difference of the actors, at least. You know, at that point, I'm probably gone. So yeah, I've, your I've, son's sixty-seven. Well, yeah. all right. Are we going to do uh, ratings and <laughs> recommendations now that we've oh. left the movie and come back? <laughs> I do. I, well, I have first? Greg, Caleb, me. I mean, that's oh. that's just the standard. Tell me, always do it. Greg, Shoot. nope. Sorry, 
Caleb John me. That was Quigley. Oh, Greg Caleb. Yep, it's Greg Caleb. That's that's the order. Um, yep, Greg Caleb. Yep. <laughs> you gave uh, the Princess Bride six out of seven <coughs> peanuts. If you wanted to know, as I flip through my notes. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this I enjoyed this movie more the second time because I watched it early on when we were going to do it, mm-hmm. and then it had been a while, so I watched it again. I enjoy it. It was funnier the second time I watched it. Um, but, uh, eh. mm. <laughs> I probably wouldn't watch it again. Like, <laughs> three, three out of seven. Somethings. That's how uninspiring the movie was. I can't even think about it. Three out of seven. Somethings. That's as good as it gets. So you liked the movie that we're going to do in a couple weeks better. (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet I I did. (coughs) All right. And you watched it with your youngest child? Because she was here tonight and she said she watched it. No, she's not my youngest. Oh, second young. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) The one still in the house. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. But she's... What, how old is she? Twenty. Let's see. She's twenty-one. Twenty-one. Huh? She's oh. gonna be twenty-two. Oh goodness. Time oh. flies. Yep. Caleb. What's it? Oh, sorry. Uh, never mind. I. What was? What if? What if someone said, "Hey, I'm gonna go down to the nursing home and see if I can find you." Down to the nursing home. Okay. Um. <laughs> I didn't someone who could change my diaper. I wouldn't right. have a problem with that. Because <laughs> when he dies, she gets everything. Yeah, yeah. If they're in a nurse home, they'd not be much. Maybe, maybe um, that's what Carol's thinking. He can't have a long left. He's that's no. true. I'm gonna get off. She's a gold digger. <laughs> Got to take care of my son. I I'll give it a B. I mean, I I thought it was funny. I mean, there's it just it, it is shocking the the differences the the difference twenty six years makes. <clears throat> Just culturally, mm. um, use the math. Yeah, I think it was there you right. go. Yeah, like, there's just no way that movie. It's just same thing with like it's not even just. I mean, we've talked about that with The Office or a lot of sitcoms too. Like this wouldn't be made today. <coughs> it's funny. I wouldn't watch it with my kids. Not they yet. They probably wouldn't get it. Yeah. Right. Um, my kids would get bored. I think. Right. I feel like I have one. One of my kids could be like him a little bit, like just his like. There's times where I get nervous when he sees someone with like really long hair or tattoos, and he just wants to go. What, what, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with you? Oh, yeah, no, it's you know. Bottle it up. Yep. Talk to me in the truck. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Or you're at Wendy's in Moscow, and you can't tell what what just served you a burger. <laughs> that one's like. Is that a boy or a girl? Boy or girl. <laughs> <laughs> Just the burgers. They don't spit in it. <laughs> they don't spit in it. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I'd I'd give it a. I I watched this a couple times when I was younger, and then I was kind of uh, guffawing and scoffing about it. But then watching it again, now that I'm now that I'm old, older, <laughs> uh, I just appreciated it more. The comedy was good. That, I mean, Jack Nicholson did great. <laughs> he did a really good job portraying this character. Sort of, I wonder if that's how he is in real life. Like, 
He just fit it so well. Mm. He did that role. <laughs> and the, the writing was really good. Just the storytelling was very clever. And uh, so, yeah, I'd give a seven and a half out of ten. Oh, wow. Yeah. I liked it more than I remembered. <laughs> so, um, what else? Yeah, I wouldn't let my kids watch it yet. Again, they wouldn't understand all the relationship connections. and Yeah. They would be asking... My kids ask a lot of questions when they watch movies. <clears throat> they don't just stare with open mouths. They, they ask 20 questions as the credits... The opening credits are on the screen. Why did they choose that color? What's Miramax mean? What's, it's like, okay, just... <laughs> yeah. And so it would be a lot of pause, explanation. <clears throat> 30 seconds later, pause, explanation. So it just wouldn't be enjoyable. <laughs> um, so yeah. Wait till they're growing up. More. Anything else you guys want to say? Nope. This could have been our longest episode if... How long my, is it? My microphone didn't cut out. Oh Hour and gosh, ten. It is. It's like 11.50. No. A.M. A.M. Uh, P.M. Opposite day, as my kids say. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Stories for Glory. If you have any recommendations, send them in. We'll put them on the list. It might take us a year and a half, but we'll get there. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time with our special guest, Elijah. Proverbs 25.2 It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Thank you for listening to the Stories for Glory podcast, where the glory of God is revealed in the stories of man. If you're interested in what we are doing, subscribe and share. If you'd like to contribute with your questions or recommendations, you can email us at storiesforglory at protonmail.com.